Hello friends, welcome to Happy Healthy Human Radio. Super excited for today's podcast, which I'm affectionately calling Fingers and Moons, as it will become uh, clear and evident as we move through our conversation today. Uh, But I'm really excited about this conversation because um, I've been doing yoga since I was 16 years old, so since 2005 or so, so it's been a while. Um, and it feels like in some ways many lifetimes just because I was doing it back in Buffalo and then in New York City and then in North Carolina and then now here in D.C. And it just feels like there's been so many layers to um, these different times of discovery and practice. But sometimes, you know, every once in a while, you know, and I think it's healthier for us to do this with anything that we stick to for 14 years is, you know, I'm like, wait, where did, how did I get into this again? Do I really, do I like, am I like super into yoga? Like, am I really into this? Is this like, is this really truly part of my life and who I am? And, um, and kind of peeling back some of those layers on, uh, on the yoga practice and what I do believe about it and how I feel it is so truly powerful. Because the answer is, um, it's not to spoil the entire story. It's like, yeah, yoga is really amazing. <laughs> no, this wasn't the episode where I announced, never mind, I'm no, no longer teaching yoga. But, um, but no, but it rather, you know, it's, it's a really powerful and deep um, and beautiful and amazing and transformative and life-changing uh, practice. And, and I think that is evidence when I think about all of these different cities I've lived in and situations that I've been in um, and the ways it's moved with me and the ways it's helped me uncover aspects and layers of myself um, through all these years is a truly beautiful thing. So I wanted to dive in a little bit um, in today's conversation, today's session, today's class um, about, uh, so fingers and moons, um, fingers versus moons, and really the use of yoga as a tool and, and what is it and, and what is the shape that it does take in my life. And um, we're going to talk about my yoga crisis of faith. Uh, when I was like, oh, is it all lies? I don't know if I'm into this. Um, and how I rebuilt that and, and how I really think about the power of yoga um, in the world. Because you all know me, if you do know me. If you don't know me, you don't know me. But uh, if you know me, you know I like science. I respect science. I super appreciate science. and um, but I also respect all of the limitations of science and the things we don't know from science. So I'm not someone that believes things falsely, or I don't want to say falsely, but believes things on a whim, let's say that way. I don't believe things on a whim. I tend to like to do my research, to experience, to see, to notice, to hear what others have said, to um, really say, does this fit with things I've learned from other places? Is this in complete contradiction to something else I've learned? Or does this actually just add a layer of nuance to it? And that's what I've really done with yoga over the years, and um, and it's why I feel so confident in 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 teaching it and in practicing it. Um, and I wanted to talk a little more about that with y'all today. So let's talk fingers and moons. Uh, if you are new around here, hey, welcome. I'm Sam, Samantha Tard to be exact. I'm here in Washington D.C. This is conversations on all of the things that I'm finding super interesting and learning about and teaching about just so that we can all find just a little more balance and confidence in our lives. Um, I like it when I feel good. I think you probably do too. And uh, I think there are practices that we can put into our lives to help us feel more good more often.
Mm-hmm. So let's uh, dive in to today's today's session. So fingers and moons. Um, so my yogi crisis of faith. So yogi crisis of faith came, you know, I probably was during yoga teacher training, so probably five or six years ago. Um, though I I'd known about this situation a little bit before, like I have a remembrance of like a class that I took where someone mentioned it um, way many many years ago. Uh, but I think we really talked about it a lot in yoga teacher training, and that's about the actual origins of yoga and the origins of the yoga poses that we do. And so here's a great time to make a distinction between yoga, which is a wide and varied multifaceted practice, and asana, which are the shapes, the physical tools, and the physical shapes that we take often in a yoga class. So there's yoga, very deep, very broad, very wide, and then there's asana, which is one tool in the arsenal of yoga. And so when we're talking about these origins of yoga, of course, we're talking about Patanjali and the yoga sutras, uh, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, which is the first one that really talked about, uh, I don't want to say it was the first one that talked about shapes, but, um, but you've probably heard of Hatha Yoga that is a yoga lineage and they do mention several shapes in them, several asanas in them. The Yoga Sutras, while they mention asana as a tool, they don't really say what those asanas are. So it's not a, uh, it's not really a manual, a how-to. Whereas Hatha Yoga Pradipika at least had some instruction on the poses. And guess what? The poses listed in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, there's about 15 of them, and... I was reading it recently, again recently, from my count, I think all of them were either seated or lying down. There was no warrior two, there was no Tadasana, there was no mountain pose or chair pose, Utkatasana, or dancer's pose, Nantarjasana, or Ardhadrandrasana, you know, all of these uh, handstands, there was no handstands, <laughs> you know, all it actually was, was different ways of seating, sitting. So there was um, Bhadha Konasana, which is where your soles of feet are together, knees are wide. Uh, there was Gomukhasana with one knee crossed over the other. Uh, there is a lotus, Padmasana, um, Siddhasana, which uh, is very sim similar to our Sukhasana. Um, so there was just a bunch of different ways to sit. And you know, it turns out that a lot of the shapes that we do in a modern yoga asana class here in the West or here in the United States most of these poses actually came out of a book of Danish gymnastics. Yes, from like the 1920s. So let's like explain. Um, around 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, there was a surge of nationalism in India. Uh, at the time, they were underneath British rule. And after years of having many of their practices uh, outlawed or banned or really uh, downplayed, there was this resurgence of um, Indian pride and wanting to resurrect ancient Indian practices or traditional Indian practices. So among these uh, was yoga and this philosophy of yoga. And so that brought it more into vogue and ultimately um, these shapes came about from a Danish gymnastics book that was adapted with and melded with the poses that were from the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, as well as other yogi practices to create a practice that was 
physically demanding, um, and this is like preparing Indians to go to war against the British, right? Like, so physically demanding and strong, uh, but also included these more ancient yogi elements. Crazy, right? Like we're doing Danish gymnastics in an asana class. Okay, so this was my yogi crisis of faith, right? Because especially if you've ever read like a yoga anatomy book or um, Light on Yoga, which is BKS Iyengar's very famous book where he actually lays out all of these different yoga shapes that we do um, here in modern times, uh, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, what blank pose is good for your liver, blank pose is great for your lungs, great blank pose, you know, helps X, Y, or Z. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, wait, hold on a second. I thought this was tested over 5,000 years to determine that, I don't know, warrior two or something was going to heal my liver. And now you're telling me actually it's just like a Danish gymnastics and we've decided that it's good for the liver, right? Like, and again, that scientific side of me was like, hold on, if we don't even have like, I was willing to go on this because we had 5,000 years of, uh, of experience to back up the data. Um, but if this is actually just kind of invented and false, like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we, why are we doing this thing? Um, and it was, it was, it was like a little bit of a scary time. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, but let me go back and then talk about what really was there? What were the actual ancient practices, the pieces that survived for 5,000 years? Um, you know, in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika and in, uh, in the Yoga Sutras and also just in the very nature of Sanskrit, the Indian language, um, there were important practices to help balance and change and move the energy, right? Ultimately, the goal of yoga, Yoga Chitta Vritti Narodaha from uh, from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, yoga stops the turnings of the mind, right? So the goal of yoga was to feel at ease, to feel at peace. We talk about yoga meaning yoke or union, to yoke us to the world around us, uh, enlightenment, if that word speaks to you, right? Like that was the original goal, okay? So that's why we were here. Cool, great. And that's what the Yoga Sutras and all those, they, they lay out, a bunch of different practices to achieve that state. So if it wasn't warrior two in Ardha Chantrasana, what were the practices that we used to achieve that state? Well, huge things were um, pranayama, so breath work, uh, mantra, chanting, so making specific sounds, whether it was just spoken or sung um, in specific chants. Um, these are huge meditation obviously, like big, huge one. And, you know, for the yogis, meditation is broken up to different uh, stages. But, you know, one stage is just truly focus of the mind and concentration of the mind. Um, and then there is also like a yogi rule book. It's called the Yamas and the Niyamas. And it's about how you are in the world. There's things in the this yogi rule book like uh, non-harming, ahimsa, or satya, truth, and telling the truth. Uh, you know, purity, um, cleanliness, like these are all different things that help you find this union, this yoke, and stop the turnings of the mind. Yoga Chitta Vritti Narodaha. So good. And there was a couple of shapes that were involved. The asana was involved, but it was not the whole deal, right? 
And um, so when I think about a yoga practice, and if I think about a yoga practice that we see here in 2019 in Washington, D.C., you know, there's a lot of asana. Like asana becomes 90% of the deal or 95% of the deal or sometimes 100% of the deal. Um, I don't want to say 100, like let's say 95%. Uh, But there's a whole other uh, bevy of resources and tools at your disposable if your goal is yoga chitta, vritti, narodaha, let's stop the turnings of the mind. And I I had a hard time. I was really trying to find this study once again. I I saw it in an article a couple years ago, um, and I apologize, I can't find it, but they were talking about, you know, why is asana beneficial? Like, why are the yoga poses good for us? Is it better for you than going to a gym or biking or any of that? Like, why do we do this? And one of the proposed mechanisms was this focus on breath with movement. The fact that we're not just moving our limbs, but we're also very specifically moving in time with breath. Um, There's a very coordinated effort of breath and mind and body. And as a result, uh, it takes up a lot of brain space, one, which ultimately is um, just great for your brain. Think about all the complicated and two-sided efforts that we do in our yoga classes, but also uh, it creates more changes in the nervous system. And, you know, anyone, I won't say anyone, but if you just go sprint up a hill, you know, you could do that with really impeccable form and impeccable concentration, or you could sprint up a hill, like being like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I want to be out, like I'm not even paying attention, right? Like there's different ways to do it. And of course, you could also go to your yoga practice like that. But if you tap in, you're really present in your practice And you are breathing and noticing your body and staying in, I call it staying in the room, like keep your brain in the room with your body, you're going to experience some huge benefits to your nervous system. And and so that's a big piece. So the yoga asana in and of themselves do have an added benefit, which is the mindful breath. The other reason why these yogas... um, these asana ultimately do have benefit, is what we do know to be true from, I guess I'll say it's from the ancient and the underpinnings of the ancient yogi practices. So with this last step, we kind of talked about breath and the fact that the breath relationship with our movements is really huge. That's capturing our pranayama, right? But what also with um, the energy fields that are talked about in yoga and in ancient yoga it's called the nadis and nadis are little energy highways running through the body like I like to think about them as like veins but they're veins carrying energy and I'm reading some more about this because I heard a teacher uh he's a chiropractor and a really amazing um energy worker say that you know now we basically think that the nadis are located in the fascia so I gotta I gotta check back in on that and see where that's coming from but if so cool. So cool. And if you do believe that the nadis exist, which I do, I do believe that there's energy flowing through our bodies, not just blood flowing through our bodies. Then, of course, when you move your body in different shapes, it's going to impact the energy, right? Of course it would. Of course, warrior two is going to feel different than half moon. 
because your body is in a different position. You know, like even just the flow of gravity is different, right? If you're turned on your side. Or, you know, we all know that a pigeon pose has a different level of intensity than a warrior one or than a high lunge. Um, and as a result, it is impacting the nadis and the energy in different ways and in different places. So this is one of the reasons why, um, and this became really important to me as I learned this, it's why I, I like to vary my week sequence um, according to the theme of the class. It's why I really think deeply about what's the energy we're trying to promote here and what shapes would help us actually find that. Because ultimately, you know, like yoga is not just stretching. And I mean, you can, you can do yoga poses in a stretching context and then that's fine. But if you do yoga poses, asana in a specific sequence, in a specific way, grouped with other specific poses, then you can have a net effect on an energy one way versus another way, right? So if you are trying to calm people down, well, you know, wheel pose isn't going to help you accomplish that. So why are you going to do it? You don't have to. <laughs> There's no rule saying that you have to do wheel pose every single time. And same if I'm trying to ramp people up, you know, starting with us laying on our backs for 10 minutes and doing a body scan, not going to really help what I'm trying to do, not going to really help us move the energy we want to, the way we want to move it. And so that's a really powerful piece of mindful movement, mindful sequencing, which is like a conversation for all my teachers, but of, of how we move in our bodies in order to impact the energy the way that we want to. And that's kind of the belief that I have to hold um, in practicing my yoga and in teaching, teaching my yoga, that specific shapes will help me move energy in specific ways. I don't know, I, I don't have enough uh, knowledge of the nadis and the Chinese meridians, which are very similar. They came out of the nadi theory, um, the meridians we find in traditional Chinese medicine. I don't have enough uh, knowledge there to say, I know warrior two does impact your liver. I, I don't have that. But I can tell you how the energy feels as it moves through my body. I can tell you what feels like a heart opener. I can tell you what feels like it's releasing stress and strain from um, these deep muscles in the legs and the hips, right? And so when we know that, we can then group shapes together that help us get to a specific place, that help us move the energy in a specific way, ultimately help us stop the turnings of the mind in a specific way, right? And then find that balance. We use it together with the breath and with this knowledge, hopefully, of these other limbs of yoga and these other important um, off-the-mat contexts and, and, and precepts to you know, get the outcome that we're wanting was stopping the turnings of the mind and feeling good. Right? I'm listening to a podcast with Brene Brown. She's like, yeah, it's, it's all one. We all want like kindness, love, and oneness. <laughs> like everyone over the world, all over the world. We're, we're good with that, right? Kindness, love, oneness. I mean, if that sounds good to you, cool, good. Um, we're on the same page. And, um, and, and then that's what we can do. If we go into a yoga class saying, okay, well, whatever, I'm just going to listen to the music and move as the teacher makes me move, 
and not pay attention to my breath, like you're probably not going to feel it. But if you go in with the intention, with the deeper layer, with the deeper understanding, um, it doesn't have to be that much deeper. You don't have to be a teacher, but like, but just a little bit more of, hey, I'm going to actually mindfully breathe here. Hey, I'm going to actually really notice my body today and really try to keep my brain in the room. Or, hey, you know what? I know I'm worked up, so I'm actually not going to do things that get myself more worked up, right? (laughs) Or whatever it is. That's the beautiful understanding, and that's where yoga becomes like 100% crazy, wonderful, and powerful, and super, super cool. So the other reason why I really want to mention this, and oh, it's time for us to get to our story. Um, this quote, it comes from lots of different places. In Zen Buddhism, uh, they say it comes from the Shurangama Sutra, uh, but apparently Confucius might have said it, or Bruce Lee might have said it. It's like, I don't know exactly who said it first, if it was Confucius or the Shuragama Sutra. I'm pretty sure Bruce Lee like took it from one of these people. But the quote is, when a wise man points at the moon, the imbecile examines the finger. Okay, I'll say that again. When a wise man points at the moon, the imbecile examines the finger. Hmm. You get it? Good. Super cool, right? What am I trying to say? Asana isn't the end goal. Asana is the finger pointing to the moon. <laughs> it's a tool to help us get there. It's a, uh, it's a signpost. It's a, um, it, it's a tool. It's a tool. It's not the end. That's, you know, I, I kind of had a teacher at one point. She's like, yeah, you know, you know, handstand doesn't equal enlightenment, right? And I'm like, I, 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 at first I was like, do I get this? Like, I think I get it. Like, I don't know if I get what she's trying to say. Um, And it's this idea that, again, like, getting the handstand isn't the goal. Really, the goal is finding the calm, finding the strength, finding the balance, finding the steadiness in mind and body, finding the bravery, the ease, all of these different pieces that have to come together in order for you to be in the handstand. So there might be, so, you you know, you can just flop up into a handstand or it can be a result of this diligent awareness and this diligent, deeper um, strength. So walking into the room at a yoga practice, at a yoga class, like, sure, yeah, you're, you're probably going to get some residual benefits there, but it's not going to be as mind-blowing as when you walk in knowing this is a tool to help me get somewhere else. This is a tool to help me grow even deeper. And, you know... honest, my friends, like, I don't always remember this very well. While I don't necessarily get caught up in, like, my asana, I'm not, like, obsessed with getting a specific pose for the most part, uh, I can take the class itself too seriously rather than recognizing why I'm really there. Because, again, if you're at at yoga and you're all, like, angry that you're there and teacher did this and I didn't like that and blah, 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 blah. Like, is that really helping anyone? (laughs) Right? Like, is this this stopping the turnings of the mind or is this ramping up the turnings of the mind? So walking in, in and of itself, is uh, is not the end goal. Showing up, I mean, it's a huge one. Like, yes, show up, make that your goal. But it's like show up plus. (laughs) Show up and then be there. I think being there is the goal. Let me really be there. 
Because if you're really there, again, you compound the benefit of I'm doing some asana with I'm doing some asana and I'm breathing with it. I'm doing some asana, I'm breathing with it, and I'm focusing my mind, right? And you're going to find all these ways to start stacking up the different limbs of yoga and the different benefits of yoga so you can truly find, um, again, what is we're looking for? Oneness, kindness, love. Mm-hmm. Point of the story is I really love yoga. It's a really beautiful thing, and it's, it is kind of fascinating, especially in my um, pregnant state. You know, the... The asana poses, they've had to get a little less important, right? Like they kind of just had to. It can't be my only. If asana, aha, here we go. If asana is the only tool in your tool shed, man, you're going to be making a lot of like, I don't know, one-legged tables. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like uh, (laughs) those old games um, and like those old little crafts when you were little. There was like this like crochet things that you could like make a potholder and like that was like the only thing you could make like just potholder after potholder after potholder because you could make a four inch by four inch square of like flat (laughs) kind of squishy thing right it's like okay again I'm really good at making potholders what's next (laughs) right so if your asana is the only tool in the tool shed man man you're gonna get stuck real easy you're gonna suck when you get pregnant, you're going to get stuck. If you're injured, you're going to get stuck. If you're traveling, you're going to get stuck. If, you know, it's 9 p.m. at night and you can't go bust out a warrior two for whatever reason, like, right? We need to have other tools in the tool shed. So show up to your practice and, um, and cultivate the other tools so that you can call upon them just as easily. And that's a beautiful thing, my friends. That's an amazing, amazing feeling. Um, and it's kind of funny, like, I didn't put it together until now. Like, I'm having a little asana guilt right now, right? Because, frankly, whenever I try to fold over, I get heartburn. And it doesn't feel good. And it's like, this is not helping the turnings of the mind. This is making things worse, my friends. And, um, and there's a little bit of guilt there because I'm not, um, not doing it as much as I usually would. But you know what I am doing? I am meditating. I am doing all my mudras and mantras. Um, I'm... You know, I'm doing these other practices. I'm reading a book right now on the Amas and Niyamas and loving it, Um, right? These other things to remind myself of what it is I go to yoga to learn. Mm -hmm. Don't let it be your only tool in the tool shed. Don't point at the finger. Look at the moon instead. And uh, enjoy enjoy your shapes no matter where they came from. Um, And trust in the deeper knowing. Mm-hmm. I hope you like this episode. I'm really happy we got to talk about this episode. It's a lot of stuff, you know, you don't always talk about when you're a great and powerful yoga teacher. You don't usually talk about your yoga doubts. Um, so I'm grateful for this opportunity to share this with you today. Um, if you do like this episode, again, you can always subscribe. You can share with a friend. You can rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Send me a note over on Instagram on that Be Happy Healthy Human if you want to talk more about what, what you heard here. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. I hope you have a fabulous week. Sending you lots of love and light. Namaste.
Full inhale. Full exhale. Unwind once again, we return to Navasana boat pose. Hands around the backs of the thighs, lifting up through the heart. Full breath in. And then half boat pose. You're going to lower halfway down. So the head is still lifted, the feet is still lifted, the arms are lifted, but the back of the spine is on the ground. Take one full breath. And exhale, lower all the way down. And you're going to hug left knee into the chest. Take a couple of rocks side to side with that left knee. One breath. And then twist over to the right. And let the back of the heart relax. So we come back in through center, extend the left leg out and hug right knee in, deep breath in, and then twist to the left. Deep breath and exhale. Come back through center. Hug both knees in, do a little rock and roll side to side, side to side. And you're going to extend the legs out. Tuck the shoulders underneath, palms face up. Let's breathe nice and deep. Here, you breathe steady, following the inhale and exhale.
Take a deep inhale. And a full exhale. Start to bring some movement to your fingers and your toes, gently waking the body up. And bend the knees, walk the feet to the hips, roll to the right side, and then press up to a seated position. Eyes will be closed and hands can press together at the heart. Taking a deep inhale and full exhale. And gratitude for your body and your breath right here today. The light and be very humbly bows that same light in each one of you. Namaste.